you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we are picking it up here this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our journey uh, through this letter, continuing to trace this, really what's been a portrait uh, that God is painting for us of what he intends for us in this life, right? Like, And, and so, so that's, that's where we are in Ephesians 6. And if you're willing and able, I'd ask you to stand with me as we look together uh, to God in his word to us this morning, his, his word to us as his people, his word to us as his beloved children. This is Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can be here, that we can be present, or that we can be in this place with your people. And, and Lord, we know that each one of us comes in here with various things on our heart, various struggles, different challenges that we are, that we're walking through right now. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would help us to just be present here, to settle us, to settle our hearts, to settle our minds, to help us just be here and help us to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, as much as you can, that you'd move me out of the way. Don't let my weakness, don't let my stammering tongue stand in the way of what you would say to your people, of what you would say to me here this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we, uh, when we started this series in Ephesians, one of the things that we said was that the first, so the first three chapters of this letter uh, were, were really sort of a picture of what we called the gospel in the air. It was this, it was this sort of 30,000 foot view of the gospel, of the, of the theological realities that are true, like regardless of our particular context, regardless of our particular time or or stage of human history, it's, it's the truth of our fallen condition, that we are all, every, every single one of us, all of us, are fractured from the fall, that we, are, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And this is like, I mean, like, this is our default setting, right? This is our factory setting that we come into the world with. This is how we enter into life. And we understand that as believers that this is a universal reality. Like that every single one of us come into this world fractured in our relationship with God and, and fractured in our relationships with one another. It's just this very, the first chapter there is just this very dark, sort of desperate picture of the fallen reality in which we find ourselves. And, and, and then in chapter 2, we see this little burst of light, like right in the middle of all the darkness, as Paul's kind of laying out this true picture of our of the darkness around us, right in the middle of all the mess, right in the middle of all the brokenness, right in the middle of all the violence and pain and loss and suffering, all the hopelessness that come through the sin condition that plagues all of creation, right in the middle of all that darkness, the hope of the gospel sort of bursts through there in, in 2-4 where we read, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. He says that by grace 
you have been saved. And so it's yes, right? Yes, you are hopeless. Yes, you are powerless. Yes, you are in desperate need of of saving. We, we, our family watched this documentary this past week, and I don't do this very often, but I'd actually, I'd recommend this one to you. It's called The Rescue, um, and, and it's about the, it's about the soccer team who, who got trapped in a flooded cave in Thailand back in 2018. I don't know if you remember that story, but they were using this cave system in Thailand to move from one side to the other, just a soccer team trying to trying to get over there and, and have a little practice, a little team outing, and, and they get trapped in there. It floods, the, the monsoon came a little early that year, it floods the cave, and now they are trapped in between, in between these two places. And, and it's this powerful picture of the human condition. That, that's truly how we find ourselves. It's a, it's a picture of our desperation and our, and our need for something. They were powerless to do anything to get themselves out of They were totally dependent on something from outside of themselves, and that's us. So we come into this world desperate for something outside of ourselves, so that we all need saving. And this is, this is again, this is our universal reality. And so what that means is that you aren't any more broken than the person next to you, right? You, you aren't any more lost or more, you aren't more dead in, in sin than anyone else. We're all in that same boat, all in that same need, but the good news, right, the good news for us is that God has seen you in your need. He has seen you in your desperation. He's seen you in that sin. He's seen you in that helplessness. And he hasn't turned from you, and he hasn't run away from you. But he's actually come running to you. Like in Christ and at the cross, breaking the power of sin, like conquering death by death in our place. He's come for you. It's that for our sake he made him to be sin, or made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? That's the explicit gospel right there. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel in the air, right there. But Paul isn't content, and and that's what we see in the sort of the second half of this, but he's not content to leave it in the air. He's not, he's not content to just leave it in the realm of like abstraction or, or in the disconnected realm of like lofty ideals or theo, theoretical dreams. But, but Paul, all right, and, and here's where we see some of his heart, is that in his love for the church and, and with, his, with his true shepherd's heart for the church, what he's doing here in the second half of Ephesians is he's bringing these realities, these truths, he's bringing them down to earth. He's bringing the truth of the gospel down to the ground where we live. And so like a good pastor, all right, speaking the truth in love, that's Ephesians 4.15, he's meeting us with the gospel where we are, and specifically, he's meeting us in the fray of our human relationships. And so really, it's just continuing the flow here out of, out of chapter 5, verse 21, where we've seen this gospel call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And really, that what we've seen so far is that, is that call to submit is not, is not a call to a one-time action. Like, it's not a call to one act of submitting, but it's a call to this continuing ethic, to an abiding way that we that we become imitators of God, right? It, it's how we image Christ to one another and to a watching world, remembering that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
And so the unnatural and uncomfortable act of submission is a, is a prevailing gospel ethic. It's something that the church is called to in all times and in all seasons. And so as we grow in grace, as we grow in love, as we grow in Christ, it's a, it's a tangible manifestation of, like it's a visible demonstration of the love of Jesus for us. As we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we're actually demonstrating what Christ has done for us. And today, we come to this point in this, uh, in this book or in this letter where we get to what we're calling the gospel-centered family. All right, continuing in the mess of real relationships, and we need to just be honest here, okay? <laughs> like, like, people are messy, okay? We are. We are messy. We try to hide it. We try to mask it. Like we know how to dress ourselves up pretty good. We know how to put on a brave face. But the reality is, and I know this, um, and, and you know this, if you're honest with yourself, that you are a mess. Like I am a mess. And if you don't believe me, uh, you're, just hang around. I'm going to prove it to you. All right. We're messy and the Lord has something to say in the mess about how we should function in our homes. Remember, Jesus doesn't settle for what is in his church, right? He, he doesn't settle for how we are, but he pushes us and he moves us towards what we ought to be. He to pushes us towards what he intends for us to be. That's his aim for us. That's his vision for us. Like That's his purpose for us, ultimately, that we would be, well, that we would be without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that, that we would be holy and without blemish. And what we see here is that the vision of Jesus for his church really does include all of us. Like that's the first thing we see here in verse 1, is that Jesus's vision for his church includes every single one of us. Look back at verse 1 with me. I want to prove this to you. We, here's what we read. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2 says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, so we've said it here a lot. Um, and as long as you guys keep making new covenant children, uh, we're going to continue to have plenty of opportunities to just keep on saying it, but we do not buy into the thinking that the children in this church are the children, are the church of tomorrow, right? Now, now, if tomorrow comes, if tomorrow comes, that's a true statement, all right? Just as much as you and I are the church of tomorrow, if tomorrow comes, that's a true thing. Should Jesus delay his return until tomorrow, Tomorrow will come, and as sure as Jesus is risen from the dead, he is going to continue to build his church. That's his promise, right? He told Peter and his disciples, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And part of Jesus building his church is through the covenant children who are in this church right now. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend just a minute talking to the children in this church congregation. So if you, if you are, and listen, I, I said it earlier with the kids, we're all children of somebody, right? And so that, that it's not, please don't tune out. But if you consider yourself a child for the first time, here, here's, this is just for you. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you are part of the church today. Like I want you to know as a covenant child that you are a beloved and vital member of this body. I want you to know that we treasure you, 
that we see you, that we hear you, that we love you, and that our prayers for you are filled with the hope of glory because we believe in a resurrected Savior who moves in and through his people, every single one of them from the youngest to the oldest. I want you to know that you, all right, so here, child, kid, whatever, children, I want you to know that you today, right now, have been given gifts for the building up of the body. Like 1 Peter 4.10 says that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It doesn't say that parents have received a gift. It doesn't say that the pastors and missionaries have received a gift. It doesn't say that the people up on the platform with guitars and pianos and drums and voices, it doesn't say that they have received a gift. It doesn't say the people up here leading in prayer have received a gift or the guy up there preaching has received a gift. What does it say? That each has received a gift. And that word each includes every single one of you. We want you to know that. Like some of you have incredible gifts of encouragement. There are some four-year-olds in this congregation who are some of the most encouraging four-year-olds on the planet. They draw great pictures of me. Always draw me with more hair than I have. It's my favorite. And usually more colorful clothing than what I have on. But that's okay too because they're working with a limited set of crayons. And, right? and we know that. There are some kids in this congregation that a simple fist bump from them will make another person's day. Do not for even a second think that you, child, don't have something to offer to Christ and his kingdom today. Not just tomorrow, but today. God has put you in this body of believers not for who you will be one day, or for what you might offer in the future. He's put you here because of who you are right now. One of his children. And because of what you have to offer right now. And I want you to know that God has called you here in his word. Here's what it says. This is his, his, he's saying it to you. To obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And none of the parents, amen. That's messed up. Here's what to, to obey means. And like we've seen with all of God's people, to obey your parents is to submit to them. It's to do what they're requiring you to do. Now, I do want to say this, okay? I want to say this because we know how people can twist the word of God to fit their own designs, right? And what we know is that there are evil people out there who take the word of God and they manipulate it. They manipulate in order to shame. They manipulate in order to control. They manipulate in order to abuse the vulnerable. And here's what you need to know. The people who do that, they will one day experience the justice of God. That, that is going to happen. Jesus promises that. He does not take lightly those who would steer his children away from him. In fact, it was Jesus who said, let the little children come to me, right? That's what Jesus said. Everybody else was like, we don't have time for that. Jesus like, let the little children come to me. He said, do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted the children to be welcomed. He wants you to be welcomed in the church today. He wants you to be protected. He wants, he wants us. Here's the charge for us as parents. I'll let you in on this one, kids. You can remind us of this every once in a while. He wants us to make sure that the pathway to him is as clear as possible. And he warned that those who stand in the way of that do so at great personal risk. And so we're never to be obedient in sin. 
There's never a calling to you to be obedient. And you are never meant to be submissive to abuse. You are never meant to just lay aside every ounce of human dignity for the sake of someone else's sick dreams. No, Jesus wants you to walk with him today. He wants you to walk your way of being. That's what the walk is. He wants you to be a witness to the watching world a witness of his grace, a witness of his provision in your life. We, we kind of joke about it every once in a while, the fact that you have a mom and a dad or parents or a, or a mom or a dad or a dad or a mom, whatever the makeup of your family is. If you're here right now, if you're watching with mom and dad in your living room right now, you have parents who love you enough to, to make sure that you prioritize the weekly gathering with God's people. Jesus wants you to walk with him today. And that's a high calling as a kid, man. And he's what he says. Did you see this? He says, for this is right. So it's not just, this isn't just the rule for Christian children. This is a, this is right because it's according to God's design. This is how he has made us. And Paul goes back to the moral law of the Ten Commandments. You see that in verse 2? He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, you see, our disregard for the law of God always leads us to trouble. It always does. Anytime that we take our eyes off of the law of God, it leads us to trouble. What do we, we sang it early, on your precepts, I'll meditate. I wonder if that's true for us. It's as if the law is a sign in the road. And there are, listen, there are all sorts of paths in this life that we might take. And, and people are good at picking our own paths, man. We're, we're really good at trying to go our own way. But Proverbs 14.12, here's what Proverbs 14.12 says. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. One of my, one of my favorite shows, um, the main character named Michael, um, he's, half of you are like, yeah, I know what show you're talking about. Um, not a blanket endorsement for the show, but it is hilarious. All right, the main character named Michael is driving from one appointment to another. That's what he's doing. And, and he says that the last appointment is on the other side of the lake. And, and, and it's, it's great. And, and the GPS is giving him direction. He has the audible voice of a lady in his car giving him directions. And she says, make a right turn. And there's two options for him to make a turn. There's one, there's one option to make a right that, that turns onto a road that leads to a bridge that goes over that part of the lake. And that seems like a good pathway. And there's the other option, though, is to turn um, and, and go down a boat ramp in, like down into the lake. And, and Michael is convinced that, he, that the GPS lady is talking about the ramp. And Dwight, that's his friend, Dwight is losing his mind, his ever-loving mind with his little mustard-colored suit. He is just losing his mind. He's going, no, 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 no. That's not, it's, it's, and Michael's saying it says to go right. And he's going, no, whatever, yeah, but go right there, not right there. Go right there, not right there. And, and Michael is convinced that he's got to turn right. He must be obedient. And Dwight says this. He says, they can't mean that. There's a lake there. And sure enough, Michael drives straight into the water and his little gift basket floats out and it's just so sad. Um, you see, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In his law, here's what God has done for us. In his law, he's given us the path. Like in his law, in his word to us, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the whole counsel of God at this point. 
He set the course for us to walk. And when we walk in that way, when we walk in the way of Jesus, in the way of life, in the way of light, and, and here's the thing, when we walk there, there is blessing to be found. Like true blessing. When we walk in his way, according to his will, there is blessing to be found because it brings us ultimately closer to him. Ian Hamilton said this, he said, children should honor and obey their parents because their relationship with Jesus requires it. And when we walk in his way, it brings him glory. Now, parents, you have a responsibility in this too. And so, so look at verse four with me. It says this, um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So yes, we are called as parents to hold our kids accountable in this. That's the discipline piece of this. And in that word discipline, if you, if you pay close attention, there's a word hidden in discipline that looks familiar. Something we talk about here a lot of the time. It's the word disciple. You see, we're called to disciple our children. That is our primary calling as parents. And fathers, maybe especially the fathers, need to hear this. You see, people tend to speak of and think of discipline as merely corrective. I mean, that's the natural way we think of being disciplined. Something goes wrong, somebody does something they're not supposed to do, and so there's this corrective measure. Maybe it's a timeout, maybe it's a pop on the hand, maybe it's a whatever, all right? I, I don't, I'm not here to tell you how to go about discipline, although if you want to ask me how we do it in my house, I'm happy to share, okay? Um, and each one's different. Each kid needed it a little different way, but I mean, like, seriously, we, that's the way we tend to think of discipline. Something bad happens, and we discipline them, but there's more to it. Listen, uh, mom, mom and dad, I want you to hear this. Whatever the makeup of your house, everything that we do, everything that we do is discipline. Every single thing, going to the store, sitting at the table, watching shows, playing games, driving down the road, throwing snowballs, whatever it is, and anything and everything, we are discipling and we are disciplining our kids. We're teaching them about the world and our place in it and every single thing that we do. There are no haphazard drives to the baseball field. I just want you to know that. There's not. Every single one of those is a divine appointment for you and your kids. We're teaching them in that about who they are in the Lord by how we nurture and care for them in the Lord at all times and at all seasons. Being a parent is a high, high calling. Being a parent is also a great responsibility because we are being entrusted with that calling by God to point his people to our Savior. Ultimately, that's our biggest aim. That's our greatest prayer. That's why when we baptize a child up here, we have the congregation raise their hands if they're willing to help mom and dad. You know why we do that? Because it's hard. Like that's why we, every time you raise your hand, it's not, well, yeah, this is great. They had a baby. Like, no, that, that's not what that is. That's a, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be times where mom and dad need someone to help press in and lead. This is why we have our elders shepherd our people I would love nothing more than for our elders to come to our next meeting and go, you know, I reached out to so-and-so and they told me they're having a hard time with this in their family. 
How can we pray for them? How can we come alongside of them? How can we encourage their heart in this? Quit hiding that. But if you are a parent, we know you're bad at it. It's okay. You know how many books there are about being a good parent? If there are that many books, it's pretty clear that nobody's that great at it. You can confess that. You can come to us. Look, I'm not a patient person. No kidding. We all know that already. I'm not super kind with them. I know. Yeah, we've been praying for you already. No, our job as parents, we're call, here's what we're called to do. We're called to image the goodness of God the Father. That God is good. We're called to, to be showing our kids the love of God the Father. We are to walk in such a way that our kids see the reflected light of Jesus in our lives. We're to walk in such a way that they see and experience the hope of Christ, the hope of eternity in our homes. Like we give them peace in the chaos. We give them truth over and above the lies of the enemy. We make it abundantly clear that if everything else falls apart, if everything else around them collapses, they can come running safely back into our arms. Because we don't control them. You know that, right? Like we don't. One of my greatest fears is that parents feel like they're completely failure, a complete failure if their kids do something they wouldn't have had them do. And you are set free from that. You don't control them. You have no more control over that than you did over the weather yesterday. We don't get to play God, but we do get to lay before them over and over again. In our daily walk with the Lord before them, we set before them a picture of our faithful and loving Father. And where we fall short, like where we fail, we're called to set before them a faithful example of repentance and forgiveness. Where we fall short, we need to confess our weaknesses. We confess our failing. We confess how far short we fall. And we point them to the grace of God in Christ so that, so that like the lost son coming home in Luke 15, seeing the father come running from the house to meet him in the yard, they will know the love of God for them. That in us, they'll know a shadow and a type of God's love for all his children. So, so here, in a day when everyone seems to be so confused about questions of identity, we're called to set before our kids a picture of who they are as image bearers of God. Who they are as sacred creatures knitted together, formed and fashioned by the will of God according to his purposes. One Swiss theologian said this. He said, we need only to know who and what we really are to break into spontaneous praise and thanksgiving. We only, we need only to know who and what we really are to break into spontaneous praise and thanksgiving. This is our calling. Like more than that, it's our responsibility. It's part of how parents walk as children of light by discipling our kids by nurturing them in the way of Jesus so they will know who and what they are, that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the aim, right? That's the goal. We have that goal. It's okay in life to say this is what we're aiming for, to not just be swept by by every single moment, every single trend, to say this is what we're aiming for ultimately. That's the prayer. Some, here's, someone asked me recently, what's the one thing that I want my kids to know. 
This was like on a Wednesday afternoon, random conversation, totally not prepared, had not gone through all my parenting books, right? What's the one thing you want your kids to know? And I was like, man, that is not a fair question because I want my kids to know all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of stuff. I want them to know, I want, them, I want my sons to know how to make a fire because that makes mamas really happy when it's cold outside, right? Just a little thing, like how to ball up the paper, how to stack it up. So like, I want them to know that. I want them to know how to tie their shoes. I think that's a critical part of existing, at least as we are as a species. I want them to know all kinds of things, but they pressed me, and so I answered. And so I don't know if this is a perfect answer. I want to, like, confess that to you. I have no idea if this is the right answer or not, if God's going to be like, ooh, swing and a miss. But I'm telling you, either way, I think, it, I think it's a good answer. I said I would want my kids, like every single one of them, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love them. Now, that's, that sounds hallmarky, all right? But I'm serious. I would want them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love them. And here's why. It's because if they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their dad, their dad who loses his temper, their dad who says stupid things at bad times, their dad who gets fussy in traffic, their dad who misses shots, their dad who hits his, their dad who hits his thumb with the hammer every once in a while and maybe says something he shouldn't say. I don't know. Um, then their dad who gets grumpy watching other dad's kids chase a weird-shaped ball around a field, right? Like, I, I still do that. Sorry, this has just become confession time. Um, if you want to know all of my failings, you can just ask them. They'll tell you, probably. I really hope they won't, actually. Please don't do that. If they know, here's, if they know that their imperfect father loves them and will never give up on them, they will never doubt the love of their perfect father in heaven. You see, they'll never doubt the perfect love of their savior. Like all we can do is point them to Jesus. This is all we can do with anyone, is point them to Jesus. Yes, we teach them to tie their shoes. We teach them to look both ways before crossing the street so they don't end up like that squirrel or whatever. And yeah, we've done that. Um, like see the squirrel, bro? This is why. Let's have our head on a, on a swivel, all right? He doesn't look happy. You want to look like, I'm sorry, I'm going too far, but seriously, it's an effective, it's an effective method. Um, we teach them to listen to and respect the people around them. We want them to be sympathetic and compassionate and, and gracious and grateful. We want them to be both strong and brave and sweet and gentle. I want them to be men and women of, of strength and power, but I also don't want everybody to roll their eyes when they walk into a room. And so we teach them all sorts of things, but ultimately our goal is to image the love of God for them to see and for them to feel and for them to experience and for them to grab hold of. And in that, if we do that, and, and we will fall short, parents, kids, your mom and dad are going to fail you in this. My kids, I'm going to fail you in this. Good thing we lean on grace. If we point them to Jesus, then we're pointing them to the cross. And that's where we find true hope. That's where we find the true answer. And that's all we have. Because in God's providence, that's all we need. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have blessed your church here at Rivercrest over the last few years with so many 
so many new covenant children, so many babies, so many kids who, who you've entrusted to us for a little while. Lord, we pray without hesitation, without apology, that you would bring our children to yourself, that you would use the moms and dads in this room to draw new sons and daughters to yourself. We pray that we would see them stand before your church and profess their faith in their dying and living Savior. We pray that you would empower the parents in our congregation, whether it's grandparents, we're surrogate parents. We've got a whole bunch of surrogate aunts, uncles, grandparents, and parents in this room. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to love your children as you have loved us. To set before them an example of faithfulness. We pray that you would use your church here as a beacon of your vision for the family. Not because we get it perfect, we won't, but because we strive after what you have for us and that when we fall short, we are quick to repent, quick to ask forgiveness, and quick to reconcile. Lord, build us up in our faith, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.